Hello and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast. I'm your host, Bill George. With me as always, AJ Rebecca. What's going on, Bill? What's going on, AJ? It's been a while. It's it's been it's been quite uh it's been quite a two years, Bill. How have how have things been? Uh for me? Same old. <laughs> <laughs> how about for yeah. you? I think I feel like you've had some things happen. I had a kid. Wow. Right? Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, what's been up in your world? Uh, you know, watching movies, the usual, <laughs> without a kid. <laughs> or, you got a new logo. You got a new logo. Well, we have a new logo, but you owned 99.9% of the IP, so you got a new logo. That's Looks great. True. Thank you so much. Should I go see it? has a proper logo now. Uh, you know, we hit uh, over a 1,000 followers on the Instagram, so thank you all so much. If you're not already following, please follow at Should I Go See It on Instagram. Uh, yeah. Well, why are we back, AJ? <laughs> I don't know. I asked myself the same thing when you texted me. Uh, we're back to look at the year in review for 2021. We have not had a podcast in quite a while, as you said, but we felt it might be a, a good time to come back in and kind of recap the films of the year. Some of the things that we saw, some of the things we liked and didn't like, uh, and catch up the viewers and listeners on anything that's uh, they might have missed over the course of the year in terms of film. I love it. And 2021 was kind of an odd year because um, theaters reopened in limited capacity and, you know, the the cinema experience was back. But a lot of our AAA blockbuster films had partnerships with Video On Demand, HBO Max being the biggest with their um, – uh, I guess, agreement with Warner Brothers. So a whole bunch of films were also released simultaneously on streaming platforms as well. So it was a hybrid year for both work and for video. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to kind of dig in and talk about all the things I watched on my couch with a baby screaming in my ear. So uh, how, do you, how do we want to tackle this? There's probably a million ways we could go about this. So uh, that's a great question. Uh, what we are going to do today is we've broken our major picks we want to talk about into three different categories. We have the bottom of the barrel. Uh, we have some <laughs> under the radar or maybe hidden gems uh, people may have missed. And then we have our standouts, our best, best picks of the year. Uh, and then at the very end, we'll talk about what we anticipate in 2022. Uh, and the order in which we'll tackle these was decided by you, the listener, who may have voted via Instagram. And the votes came in a uh, two to one capacity that we should start with the worst and work our way up. Uh, <sighs> I love that. I love that. And I voted on that poll and I also voted to start at the bottom of the barrel because if you're going to end a shit year, you might as well talk about that shit year with the shittiest movies of the year. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good place to start. Uh, and it was indeed, a, I would argue, a mediocre year at best. Uh, nobody would say that 2021 was even close to something like a 2000 or 2007 or a 2010 or any of these other milestone years. It was... Uh, like you said, there was the pandemic and some delays that may have been part of that, um, but really just not a ton of amazing output, uh, unfortunately. So we have plenty to talk about in terms of the bad movies, uh, which is what we're going to start with <laughs> right now. All right, let's uh, let's jump into the bottom of the barrel. And it's funny because an Instagram follower commented on one of your last posts that said, oh, my God, like I've never seen Bill review or have so many no's in a row. I can't believe this is happening. So um, you're not wrong. Um, and we're going to talk about why it was so wrong. And I think we should start with the biggest, most horrible movie of 2021, which was <laughs> Matrix Resurrections. Yes. Mm -hmm. The Matrix Resurrections was not only the worst movie of the year, easily one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Uh, I believe that was what you and I discussed immediately upon finishing it. How how far into the film did you realize that you don't want to watch it anymore? Give or take 15 minutes, I would probably say. Yeah. And then by the time I reached an hour, I knew for sure that it was just the, <laughs> the worst. I, you know, we talked about holiday movies at one point, and I and I think in 2016 I said this originally. Uh I I said that the the Grinch by Ron Howard with Jim Carrey was the cinematic equivalent of a war crime. <laughs> Uh, and I stand by that phrase. I stand by that that phrase for that film. But in retrospect, I almost wish I saved it 
so that I could deploy it right now for the Matrix Resurrections. Okay, why was it so bad? What are your top three reasons on why this movie was just absolute trash? I can't, I can't pick three, AJ. I hated every minute of it, every minute that it was happening. I don't think a single decision that they made in this movie worked for me at all. And someone might say that it's because I have too much affection for the original Matrix, and maybe that would like color my view of any attempt to reboot or, or sequelize. Um, but I really don't think it's that. I really, trying to be as objective as I can, looking at the story they chose, the performances, the direction, and just none of it worked. None of it worked whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I can't fight you on any part of that. Um, we had a bunch of conversations about this over chat and uh, online and offline and stuff like that. And the thing that was troubling for me the most was, and I, I texted you this, I said, are they trying to break the fourth wall and and tell the audience that this is basically one big joke that they're that they're letting us in on? Or were they truly 100% committed to this story and the principles behind it. And that's what makes it, like you said, one of the worst movies of all time. Yeah, the the consistent meta humor and referencing and even referencing the, the making of the movie you're watching in and of itself. It was just it was just such poor decision making. Uh, I, I can't like I can't even uh, I've been asked that question so many times, like, why was it so bad? Because in my review, I literally said I've reviewed uh, up to 800 movies at this point, none as bad as this one. Uh, and I've had a lot of people ask me, why is that? And like, I can't even, as soon as my brain starts to think about what was bad about it, it gets overloaded and I can't, there's no, I can't get proper output. Like, I can't compute just how horrific everything about The Matrix Resurrections is. The, the 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 tough part for me on this one too is that a lot of people me and and you we have such an affinity for the the, the original trilogy even though that it, it did get significantly worse as it went on but there was a resolution i moved on i i yes. was okay yep. with that and then this came up and i was like i'm a huge fan i need to watch it and then people ask me again huge fan of the trilogy should i watch it and i'm torn because i want to say yes because it is a continuation of said story. But the other half of me is like, I don't want you to put put you through that because it is three hours of your life that you truly will never get back and has no connection, no emotional feeling, no anything towards the original trilogy. And that's why it is truly one of the worst films of all time. Yeah, life is too short is what I usually tell people when they ask about whether they should see it. And if they do end up watching it because they're completists, I usually tell them, stop whenever you need to stop. Don't be a hero. <laughs> it is just so, so bad. I can't emphasize it enough. Uh, but I think we've we've beaten that horse just like yeah, that movie. Just don't watch it. It's it's beat it's, my brain in. I haven't said one uh, F-bomb yet. I'm reserving it. I thought I was going <laughs> to use it for this one, but I'll yeah, be yeah. cautiously yeah. optimistic. So let's m keep on going through this bottom yeah. of the barrel. What do we got up next? So this is this was one of your picks for bottom of the barrel. Uh, I wouldn't put it in the, in the bottom of the barrel category, so we can talk a little bit about that. But that would be Daniel Craig's final outing as James Bond in No Time to Die. Um, he ripped my heart out and stomped on it. Yeah, tell us about it, AJ. This, well, was, this was your pick. It, it was, it was so like you said, it was a culmination of of the Daniel Craig saga as James Bond, and the series we've talked about has had many up and ups and downs, and to end on this note with this kind of period at the end of his kind of you know mark on the character. I thought it was extremely disappointing. I thought the story, they try to find a way to connect it to all the way back to Casino Royale. And it got really convoluted and forced the runtime and the pacing just got really weird in terms of forward, forward, forward. And then a few steps back, there was a lot of side characters and kind of side plots that try to be forced into the main storyline. And I thought just overall, like, a character that we all have loved, either read or watched, just kind of got massacred a little bit as its final stand, and it just it left a sour taste in my mouth that I'm I'm not over because I I had higher expectations for both 
Daniel Craig's performance, the director, um, I'm blanking on his name right now, who did the first season of True Detective, who's a really great writer. I had high, high hopes and expectations, and I was just let down. Yeah, I, it's not great. I, I I agree that it is the worst of the James, of the uh, Daniel Craig James Bond films, um, sadly. And after I watched it, I went back through and rewatched the four leading up to it to kind of like try to reevaluate the 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 whole series. And it definitely does stand out to me as the worst. And upon rewatching Spectre, it did make me think because this was close to being the last one. We know there's a lot of behind the scenes about Daniel Craig wanting to or not wanting to come back. And so watching the end of Spectre, thinking this was almost the end of it, I actually think Spectre would have been a better send-off Probably. for Daniel Craig, and it would have been a better ending. Um, so that that is disappointing. That being said, I don't put him in the worst of the year category for myself because it still has some great moments. It still has some great set pieces. Ana de Armas is incredible. Uh, it has moments uh, that stand out enough to keep it from being the bottom for me. But emotionally, I understand why you would bucket it in the bottom because it is such a blow compared to the rest of the series that we have come to love for so many years. Uh, thank you, Bill, for for finding yeah. a middle ground with yeah. me. Um, right, let's get this is kind of like a buzzkill. Uh, let's let's kind of go through any other top picks we have for bottom of the barrel. There's a couple I think that we've actually both watched as well. One of them being a most recent uh, addition to the Netflix original content, original movies. Uh, Don't look up. Yeah, hated it. <laughs> it I hated it. So... I hated it more than a lot of people. Yeah, and I and maybe I've just been in a mood, which is like you said, I had a string of nose, and this was among them. Uh, I really found no enjoyment in this movie. I didn't laugh. It just hit you over the head with its own message for two and a half hours. It was just the length was unconscionable for a movie that this is this one note. Yeah, and it's just a waste of talent. And I don't, I don't like Adam McKay as a director. I I haven't uh, at all. If you read any reviews I've done for McKay movies. Sometimes they're yeses, but it's always in spite of his direction. It's usually that's something I'll note in the review is I hate certain ways he tackles certain things. But he usually gets really good performances uh, or has really good content and script that balance that out. In this case, I don't think any of it did. So don't look up. I, I definitely uh, had it as bottom of the barrel for my list. And for viewers who can't put a name to a picture, um, Vice. Um, yeah. He's uh, done. Big Short is the where McKay really made his switch from comedy to drama. He, I mean, he he made his name with stuff like Anchorman and things like yeah. that, which are obviously institutions at this point. But when he switched to drama with The Big Short and then Vice and now this, uh, and he's done some TV work as well. I just, I just don't think I don't like the way he approaches material in terms of direction. It was so on the nose. It was so long. The acting was horrible. J-Law, who is a national treasure, probably put on the worst performance of her life as well. Of course, uh, Jonah Hill and the small supporting role that he has continues to crush it. He, I think he's finally got his kind of stride of knowing what his com like comedic relief looks like and how he can kind of engage actors in a way that seems very ad lib and improv, but really kind of helps make the scene a little bit dynamic. He steals a show in any scene that he's in, but everyone else, including Leonardo DiCaprio, J Law, as we said, um, Meryl Streep, they just, it falls short. Yeah. And the, the, the last ones, uh, I think we should mention, these are more, uh, fiascos kind of to put a word to it more so than, than outright failures. Uh, the Tomorrow War, which was that uh, Amazon Prime sci-fi movie with Chris Pratt, uh, Fast and Furious 9, and Army of the Dead on Netflix. All three of those, to me, were films that just didn't work. Um, they weren't egregiously offensively bad, like something like Matrix. Um, they just didn't hit the mark for what they were going for uh, in a lot of different different ways. Yeah, Army. Of, let's touch on Army of the Dead for a second. Really cool premise in a way of being able to, for those who don't know, it's a casino heist movie in Vegas after the zombie apocalypse. So they realize that there's a whole bunch of money underneath Caesars or one of those big um, casinos and they have to go in and steal the money and survive. Great premise. Great idea. Great idea. Another weird Zack Snyder thing where I feel like they gave him way too much control with zero oversight and the way that it was <laughs> shot, the way that it was framed, the way the story progressed was just really fucking weird like it was messy it was just a messy yeah. movie the opening credits were the best part 100 uh, and then it was just kind of downhill from there 
All right, let's move on from the trash heap of 2021 uh, and move on to some movies that, you know, not necessarily going to win Best Picture, not the best of the year, but definitely some things that stood out to us that may have gone under the radar. Um, I know for me, I definitely want to start with The Protégé. Um, Ooh. This was a movie that came out, uh, I almost want to say six months ago. Uh, it is directed by Martin Campbell. You know, we were talking about James Bond. Martin Campbell directed Goldeneye when they rebooted James Bond with Pierce Brosnan. And then he came back again and directed Casino Royale when they rebooted James Bond uh, with Daniel Craig. So Martin Campbell knows his way around a spy movie. Uh, and this is just a, a classic popcorn trashy spy movie, uh, which is my personal favorite genre, uh, <laughs> with Maggie Q in the lead. She's great. The writing is very fun and reminiscent of Casino Royale. It borrows sort of the John Wick type of violence and, and fights. Not to that level. It's not as good as something like that in terms of fight choreography. But it's the same feel. So it's got that fun feel of a Martin Campbell James Bond movie with a great lead and some, some violent action. Uh, and I just, I loved it. It was just one of those movies I was just had a grin on my face, like ear to ear the entire time I was watching the movie because it was just something I enjoyed so much. So Protégé, if you haven't seen it, uh, definitely worth checking out. Is it better than The Hitman's Bodyguard? I, you know, I never actually <laughs> saw either of those films. Really? I, I, yeah. know, I was trying to make a joke that apparently they were probably one of the worst films of all time, but that's what I heard. like them. Um, tough crowd. Um, <laughs> uh, moving on, uh, I have two quick picks for Under the Radar. As I said, with the new baby at home, we did a lot of um, movie watching at home. Um, both Mortal Kombat and Suicide Squad uh, were released on HBO Max. Like Bill, you said, these aren't winning any awards, but they were true to the source material. Mortal Kombat was is rebooted, obviously, from the early 90s movies that we probably all watched that were extremely bad. And they really le- they really leaned into like the corny C-list type movie, but it actually had pretty good effects, pretty good fight scenes. They were able to incorporate like the levels and the fatalities and stuff that were in the video games in a movie that didn't seem like so out of place. They knew exactly what they were doing, and I thought it was a great popcorn flick. And the same thing with Suicide Squad. Another reboot of a film that came out only a few short years ago, Um, the Margot Robbie, Will Smith movie that fell completely flat in its that would have been the bottom of the barrel of that <laughs> yeah. year whatever, if we did that yeah. podcast. Um, and uh, again, they were able to look at the source materials, really understand how the comics work, the characters, how absolutely off the wall insane they were, cast it in a way that makes sense, shoot it in a way that makes sense, and have a story that is truly just out of this world. Um, the cast was fantastic. John Cena was amazing as a peacemaker. He did so well that um, he's getting a new series on HBO Max about his character that he played in the movie. Um, and I just thought they were really two fun flicks. Yeah, seen as the highlight of Suicide Squad for me, definitely. And then Mortal Kombat, I didn't like it quite as much as you. I, I thought some of the some of the scenes were pretty inventive. I would watch the sequel. That was the one thing that really bothered me a little bit about it is it's Mortal Kombat, which is entirely based around a fighting tournament. And then in this film, called Mortal Kombat. They don't actually have Yeah, they don't, know, they don't do the fighting tournament. Yeah, I never <laughs> that, really thought that, about that, that right now. That kind of <laughs> was a turnoff for me that they would just, the entire movie exists to lead up to a potential sequel. Like, you don't know if you're going to get a sequel. you got to put everything you got out there. You know what I mean? Let me, let me, said, let me push back, though. If Christopher sure. Nolan created a movie called The World Series that never had a World Series game in it, you would still watch it. Yeah, and I did watch this. I'm, I'm just saying. And just saying, I, yeah, right. It's all I, I, the context. You always got to bring Nolan into these things. You always got to do that. I mean, what I, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I'll I'll watch the sequel though. But but yeah, Mortal Kombat. A couple others I would throw out there um, that I like this year. Uh, old M Night Shyamalan's latest. I've always been an M Night Shyamalan apologist. I love his early work, and now his latest work is also coming together pretty well. Um, I really enjoyed it. We're not going to go into spoilers for for anything in this podcast, but if you know Shyamalan, you know there's usually a reveal, and I thought that uh, that was handled really, really well. Um, what's the? Uh, what's, and I thought what, they, what, I thought they used the concept well. What what tier Shyamalan are we looking at? 
Like uh, um, village, six cents being the top, uh, lady in the water being bottom, the bottom, <laughs> the bottom. Where where does it fit? Uh, it's mid. It's mid. I would say top half. Okay. Yeah, and and you know it's the the beach that makes you get old. I know it became like a meme afterwards, like the concept of aging happening faster in this particular place. Uh, but it is used really well. Like we talked about things like the Tomorrow War or. Uh, Army of the Dead, where there's a concept that is wasted, I feel like this made the most of its premise, which is is saying a lot. So Love I really it. enjoyed Old. I would throw that in there. A um, couple others. Uh, Till Death with Megan Fox. Small movie. 90 minutes. Tight. One location thriller. It's on Netflix. Um, definitely worth it. It's a type of movie where if you're watching it with people, especially you're like yelling at the screen, like don't go in there or try this or uh, whatever it may be. And I, I just really enjoy the ride on that one love it and then the last one i would throw out there is a, a new one it's actually still in theaters at the time of this recording which is nightmare alley uh, and part of the reason we wanted to talk about this one is it is directed by guillermo del toro uh, who won best picture with his last film the shape of water uh, oh. which we have also talked about in this podcast <laughs> uh, yeah but but it's a it, nightmare alley i think is is great i think it's a great story told well um Cooper, Bradley Cooper gives a great understated performance. Could have been a little shorter act two, could have trimmed it. Um, but you know, it, it it the ending hits particularly hard because of the journey you've gone on. So I wouldn't say they need to like take a hatchet to it and cut out a half hour, but you could trim it maybe 10 minutes in the second act and make it a little tighter. Would have been a little better. But as is, uh, if you come across it, um, definitely worth watching. Yeah, I wasn't able to to go to the theaters to watch it. Probably not soon so definitely when this comes out on uh on rental picking that up because we are a huge fan of uh del toro in this household yeah all right this is it our picks best of the year 2021 uh we have a list in no particular order uh why don't we start with the ones that you and i both have seen okay uh just so we can discuss and then i'll throw on a couple more uh that i want to make sure we we cover based on my viewing uh, let's start early in the year. It might have been forgotten by a lot of folks, but I went back through my archives uh, in preparation for this, and I realized that I Care A Lot, the Netflix film with Rosamund Pike and Peter Dinklage, came out in February of 2021, and I would easily put this as one of the best of the year. This is an example of a film, right, that the premise is... The premise the direction and everything is just a little off kilter, right? It's a little wacky, right? When you see it on yep, paper, yep. but the performances of the people ground it in a reality where you're just like, I cannot stop watching this film. Like it was mm -hmm. amazing. Uh, there's so much, so much we can say about this film, but like from the writing all the way down to the sound design and the soundtrack they use, every single part of it worked um, and I can't believe it It came out in February. When you told me that it came out in 2021, I honestly thought it came out two years ago. That's how much time doesn't make sense in COVID. Um, but it, I just, I, I loved it. I, I don't know how much, I don't even know where to start with it. I just, I loved it so much. I agree. I think it's just one of those movies you got to see. Uh, all the performances are great. The script is great. It's well done. It reminded me uh, in that way to Thoroughbreds, which was yes. one of my favorite films of a few years ago. Uh, not in terms of necessarily tone or, or script or anything like that, but just the fact that like Thoroughbreds, it's one of those movies where every part of it works. There's a singular vision that they're trying to come, you know, get across and everybody involved does it the right way. All the decisions they make are the right ones. Uh, so definitely a great pick. If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. Check it out. One last crazy thing about the film is that um, the director, Jake Blakeson, it's it's actually his first feature film that he's ever done, which yeah. to me yeah. is yeah. just makes me feel like a massive piece of shit. Uh, young <laughs> well, that, that, <laughs> that goes back to Thoroughbreds, too. That was his uh, first film, the director of that. I think when someone is working towards their first project and they have it they've like it's all they've thought about for x number of years they have such a vision for it if they can get the cast and crew on board for that vision yeah like it it hits like whether the next movie is going to be as good who knows but that first film in a lot of cases um i think that would be the same for um 
Damien Chazelle. Uh, oh, <laughs> I was gonna say Damien Chazelle, right? Like Whiplash was his first. Yeah. Yep. That's he, another good one. I was gonna say uh, the Witch. I think that was. Oh uh, yeah. First. I could be wrong, but uh, but no, Chazelle's a great point. Yeah, he he wrote Whiplash and shot like a a spec video right after film school, I believe, and it yeah. was uh, a hit. And then he ended up obviously making Whiplash. He wrote Ten Cloverfield Lane, which is the best Cloverfield thing they've ever done. La yeah. La Land, and then um, Babylon, his new film, will be coming out in 2022. Yeah. But that first one, uh, it it's it's great. So I Care A Lot falls in that same mold. Love it. What else we got? Uh, the other one that I know you saw as well would be Dune. Uh, uh, Dune. Yep. Dune, uh, part one, even though they don't say it uh, in the title, they say it in the opening can credits. I, can I tell you what really fucking pisses me off about Dune? Please, AJ. It's been a, it's been a while since I got this stuff. <laughs> is they never they never for so when you watch the film, right? They don't tell you that it's part one. And I was like texting you, and I was like, "Isn't that weird that like they don't call it like Dune Part One or like whatever?" I don't know what film company. I assume it's Warner Brothers because it was on HBO. They never signed on for a second movie deal until after this movie was made. Correct. Yes. So you're going to take down all of your sets and your production in the middle of like Qatar or wherever the fuck they are in a desert and come back a year or two later and reset up your entire scenes and get everyone back in there to do it. Yeah, it, it's that was uh, well, just an interesting. <laughs> it's an interesting story that they the, the studio wanted to see how the first one did when you're talking about adapting a book that has been a staple in the, of the genre for uh, decades and has been aped by so many other things. And now you have a visionary director come along that wants to adapt it. And it's like a passion project for him. And they're like, well, let's see how the first one does. And, yeah, on this side. So he tells half a story. Yep. Uh, and then it ends. And I know lots of people who didn't know that either. And they went in and they were, they texted me after and they're like, this movie didn't have an ending. And I was like, well, yeah, um, we gotta wait for part two. Knowing that they didn't sign on for a second movie, I could see how someone who maybe didn't read the book could see that ending and be like, okay, major cliffhanger-ish unresolved, but like, I could paint a picture in my head of how this would move forward. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it was still a, a, a shitty decision. Like you said, It's this book has been made millions of times and hundreds of different languages for people all over the world. And they don't have the faith in one of the best directors of the last 25 years to just crush it kind of just irritates me. Yeah, it, it is. It is odd. It's also frustrating because now, you know, we're picking this as one of our top of the year. It's beautiful. It's a faithful recreation. I read the book ahead of time because I was so excited for it. Wow. And I thought they did a great job with it. And now we have to wait a couple of years to see this part two because they, you know, they're just after the green light, they were starting on the script. So yep. then you got to start on the script. You got to get everybody back. You got to time all the actors. You got to go back to locations. Which is, which is, yeah, which is, we're going to see very shortly um, Avatar, right? It came out, what, like 47 years ago, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they yeah, green lit. They greenlit to shoot what, the four remaining, three remaining? I think there's at least three more, if not. Three. Uh, yeah. They've done post production. They're doing them all together. Done, yeah, yeah. They done. They did principal shooting for all of the next films all at the same time. And the idea is that every year, every every twelve or sixteen months, whatever it is, there'll be another Avatar yeah. movie because everything's already been done. I mean, that's what they did with Lord of the Rings. We had three Christmases in a row with Lord Lords of the Rings coming oh, out. Uh, weren't those the best Christmases? Yeah. <laughs> they were. Uh, it was a simpler time then. Uh, so. It was. So Dune, anyway, the point is Dune is beautiful. Denny does a great job. Read the book, watch the movie. Worth checking out. Uh, standout, standout part of the film for you. Uh, what was it? In terms of acting, cinematography? It's, it's the look. It's the look of the film. Uh, the colors, the use of color, the, the, the sets uh, and locations shooting. Like it just, it, it is one of those movies that death envelops you and you just feel like yeah. you're there. Uh, so production design, I guess I would say, is overall the the big standout for me. And great casting and great performances as well. I mean, like it's been one of one of the best movies of the year. So there's not a lot uh, bad to say for sure. It's it's all fantastic. Love it. What else we got? 
Um, I'll do a couple quick hits and then I'll, I want to hit on like the two big ones to talk more about. Uh, French Dispatch would be on my list. Mm. The latest from Wes Anderson. It is, you know, it's Wes Anderson. Uh, if you've seen his films before, Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums, um, Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, they're all fantastic. I love his entire catalog. And this would be in the top half of that catalog. It's maybe almost, it leans into the Wes Anderson-iness almost a little too much for me personally yeah. at times. Like, uh, like how much? <laughs> like a lot? Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't become a parody of itself, uh, but it, it borders that line sometimes. Uh, I mm. think personally, Grand Budapest Hotel is the perfect amount of Wes Anderson-iness-ism. Uh, this kind of goes a little further. And this also is a, an anthology movie. So there's three discrete stories told uh, along with bookends. And personally, I would have cut one of the stories. One of them is definitely not is weaker than the other two. And if you cut that story, you get it down to 90 minutes, which is my threshold for Wes Anderson before the cutesy kind of takes <laughs> a little, it comes a little too much. So yep. I would have cut one story from it, but as is another fantastic uh, piece of art from, from Mr. Anderson. Ooh. Love it. Me, me and my wife right now currently going through the catalog. She's never watched any Wes Anderson movies. So really? we're trying to. Yeah. Um, so we've done uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. She was OK with that. And then um, we did Grand Budapest last week and I hadn't seen it since the theaters. And I uh, we talk about a lot. What do we what do we define as a perfect movie? We've talked about Ocean's Eleven. We've talked about The Dark Knight. I talk about a whole bunch of other movies. To me, Grand Budapest is a perfect movie from start mm -hmm. to finish. Mm -hmm. Pace, story, art direction, cinematography, acting, humor, everything. I forgot how amazing that movie is. Um, and I'm excited to, once I get through the catalog, to, to ramp this and, and hop into it. Because yeah. I've only heard good things. Definitely. Uh, and then another, another one on top of my list is Pig. Uh, with Nicolas Cage, which we have talked about <laughs> one-sidedly for a while. As I've been trying to get you to watch this movie for months. I told, I told you I was going to watch it since like September 1st, and I still yeah. haven't watched you, it. We I'm made so a sorry. pact. I would watch Chef, and you would watch Pig. I have seen now Chef, yet <laughs> you have not watched Pig. Uh, chef, should I go see it? Oh, it's a yes. That's a yes. It's an easy yes. Okay. Yeah. If you said no, I was going to fucking throw my <laughs> machine out the window and never talk to you again. Uh, Pig, just briefly, it is so much more than its premise would make you believe at first blush. Nick Cage is kind of like an outcast from society. He lives alone in a shack. He has a truffle pig and he hunts truffles and then sells them. Uh, and at the beginning of the movie, his truffle pig is... Pignapped? I don't know if that's an, a technical term. It's <laughs> captured, taken away, and now he has to follow the trail of evidence to the top to find out what happened. And it sounds okay. like it lunacy. Sounds ridiculous. But then you actually watch it, and the, the story is so moving. I cry during this movie. Nick Cage's performance is incredible. The story goes some places that you don't expect it. And it's just, it's a must-see, I'm telling you. Uh, especially for food lovers, because there's a big element of, yes. of food in the restaurant business in this, uh, which is why we connected it with Chef and why I think you'll love it. Uh, but Pig with Nick Cage, uh, it's a must-see. When you, when you give me the synopsis, you know what movie I instantly think of in my mind, right? John Wick? It's, it's literally John Wick with a pig. <laughs> That's what you would think, it but I'm telling you it's not. <laughs> Okay. That's how I right. get you in. Because wouldn't you watch John Wick with a pig? Like, I mean, that's still a winning concept, even if they. I watched John Wick with a dead wife and a fucking dead puppy. Why would I want to do that with, to myself again with a, with a pig? You know, pigs. Here's a funny antidote. Now that we're, I think we're finally loose, we're back in our normal state. Do you know, out of all of the animals or mammals on planet Earth, the DNA that is mostly tied to a human is not a monkey like you would think. It's actually a pig. Fascinating. I don't, is that true? Uh, <laughs> we'll fact check that later. Yeah, we'll get back to that. I think the chimpanzees might have something to say. But uh, the, the, <laughs> the, the two movies that I want to hit on the most because these movies affected me the most this year are Spider-Man No Way Home and West Side Story. They are the standouts. Okay. We'll start with Spider-Man. And 
you know, it was the second highest grossing weekend of all time. So you've probably already all seen it, but I still don't Wild. want to, I don't want to get into spoiler territory. So we'll keep it vague. Wild. But Spider-Man for me was a transcendent experience uh, viewing this film, especially seeing it with a wow. crowd. I think as far go, well, you, go ahead, you go, you jump. In. Yeah, no, I'm I. OK. And we talked we briefly talked about this. It was good. I don't I don't feel the same way. It, top of the year. Obviously, it was the first movie I saw back in theaters after two year hiatus of covid and everything. It was good. I don't know why you're freaking out about this movie. I don't. I, I, I truly don't. So. I thought that this concept of, you know, and this is in the speaking purely based on trailers, uh, this concept of using the multiverse, which we have unlocked in previous uh, MCU properties, Loki, most notably, using that multiverse concept to cross in previous iterations of the Spider-Man franchise that we've grown up with over the last 20 years, bringing in some characters and villains from that. I think that concept is a neat concept. I think it's a little meta. It's kind of like a funny idea. What if they did it type of thing? So like the concept in and of itself is one thing, but the way they executed it, I thought was so smart. And I thought it got the absolute most out of that concept. And in the process, I think they did some of the best dialogue writing I've seen in the MCU and had some of the okay. best performances I've seen in the MCU. And as Won't someone who has grown up for the last 20 years with all these Spider-Man franchises, characters, villains, and to see the way that they bring them together in a heartfelt way that is true to the characters and is funny and emotional, I, I just think they executed a high-level concept perfectly. Uh, and I love the MCU house style to begin with, so like it fit right into that. And it just yep. it just really, really resonated with me. And I I absolutely loved it. I think what stood out to me, so I, I can't argue any of those points. And on top of that, I believe even when you think of uh, Endgame and you think of Infinity War Part 1 and 2, this is probably the best looking Marvel movie they've ever put out mm -hmm. from just a cinematography standpoint, the way they, they did the CGI and the effects was great. What I really appreciated about this is how they were able to tie it into, and not directly, the multiverse and the things we saw in WandaVision and the things that we saw in Loki without being so on the nose. But if you saw everything together and you've, if you've seen the stories progress, they kind of envelope in a way that seems really natural and really well executed that you know Kevin Feige and the writers at Marvel I used to give them shit all the time, and I will tell you that I've, I've, in the last year, I'm, I will own up to me being wrong. Is they've done some amazing things with TV and their story writing and their progression that I thought they never could have done, and um, I, I'm really excited to see what happens in the next phase of of Marvel. But before we go there, Bill, it's funny that you said this is the best Marvel movie they've put out. But you didn't put the Eternals, which a movie that you absolutely hated, on the bottom of the barrel, <laughs> which you said was the worst Marvel thing they've they've put out. Uh, yeah, I yeah, I I this is I think my first no for the Marvel Cinematic Universe ever Wild. was for Eternals, which at in previous movies there had been movies that I thought were mediocre entries, but because of their the continuity, especially in the Infinity Saga at the time. I still gave yeah, some guesses because he kind of had to see it. You know what I mean? You could not see yep. it or else the next thing wouldn't make sense. Eternals was the first one that was so bad that I was like, yeah, I, like you can read about it. Like you can skip this one. Like don't actually put yourself through the viewing experience. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, maybe that was a miss. Maybe it should have been bottom of the barrel. But again, even the worst Marvel is still decent at times and entertaining compared to something like the major resurrection resurrections, which was neither of those things. Um, okay, so the drum roll had, had, has us now at your biggest, bestest movie of, of 2021, Bill. Yes, yep. And um, I'll, I'll let you take it from here. I got to give it to uh, the master himself, Steven Spielberg, whose name synonymous with film. Uh, West Side Story was, was my pick for best of the year. <laughs> it is. That's my Jets and the Sharks kind of like. 
<laughs> no, Anyways, go on. No, I follow. Yep. Uh, okay. It was so good. Uh, it was gorgeous. Every shot was gorgeous. Uh, and the the highlight for me was Ariana DeBose as Anita. Was an absolutely incredible performance. Just just riveting. Every scene, you're just locked in on her and her performance. Like it was spellbinding. Uh, and a couple like small things too that Spielberg does that really set it apart for me. You know, the 1961 film is, is a classic. We grew up with it in my house, West Side Story itself. You know, one of the most beloved musicals there is. The idea of it being remade by someone with affection for uh, the material, affection for cinema, the best at what he does, uh, Spielberg, to, to give him the best possible material, because he's done more with less for sure, to see him take amazing material and elevate it like this and slightly update it to make it, you know, it still takes place in the in the 50s and is still of its time, but he updates just enough of the script. Tony Kushner, I believe, does pass on the script um, to, to just make a couple tweaks here and there to just make it resonate a little bit more, not making it so like on the nose to make it apply for today's times, quote unquote. But there's just enough there where you can see the connection and, and the message in it resonating today. And another directorial choice that I, I thought was an incredible touch was, you know, the 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 Jets and the Sharks, you know, vying uh, gangs. One of the gangs is Puerto Rican. And there's a lot of scenes where the characters are speaking Spanish to one another. And he does not choose to subtitle those scenes. So as an audience wow. member, you are just watching that scene. And he, A, has faith in his performers. And B, has faith in his own direction that the emotion of that scene and the purpose of that scene will come across whether you get the actual words or not. That's uh, wild. And... It, it removes, you know, subtitles in and of their nature kind of create a, uh, a barricade between the audience and and the character. And it in, by removing the subtitles, it removes that otherness of the Puerto Rican gang and makes them so much more accessible uh, to audiences today and, and, and white audiences in particular. And it's an update from the older movies. And I thought that was such a smart choice wow. from a storytelling perspective. Uh, and only someone like Spielberg, I think, could get away with that uh, in the industry today. I think the studios would have been nervous to say we're going to have characters not speak English and not subtitle it for our audience. Uh, but sure. they have the faith in Spielberg to do it. Uh, and I thought it was fantastic. Uh, so West Side Story is my pick. Go ahead. There, there, I was going to say there was another um, musical film that came out this year uh, in the Heights. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda film based on his Broadway or off-Broadway show of the same name how do those two stack up against each other uh i think it's i think it you can see the connections you can see the similarities but it's it's hard to to try to compare something to west side story like it's just it's just looms so large uh for a reason because it's just so good uh in the yeah. heights i you know i was not familiar with it until i saw the film um and i thought it was good i gave it a yes i enjoyed it um but it's still, it can't touch West Side Story, just in terms of storytelling, in terms of music, in terms of direction, in terms of performances. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's AAA versus, versus the big leagues. Like, you can't, you can't compare anything to, to, to Spielberg and West Side Story. Love it. Uh, so that, that is definitely a pick. I, it's sad that not as many people saw it at the box office. It did not do particularly well. Um, part of that is because the movie skews towards an older audience and older audiences are not ready to go back to the cinema just yet. And part of it was the controversy over the, the lead actor, uh, Ansel Elgort, who was the weakest of the casting, to be honest with you. Um, but, uh, but I, I hope more people end up catching it when it is streaming and when it's more widely available, because it really was incredible. Love it. And do you think uh, watching at home will take away from any of the, theatrics in terms of visuals and sound i think it will and i think that's why it's a shame because i know you know the 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 canvas of the screen that that spielberg can paint uh and the music focus and the and the the blaring soundtrack like it definitely to me uh was a great theater experience so it is sad that so many people won't get it that way but uh but still worth worth watching love it uh 2020 Two. What uh? What's on the radar for you for uh, next year? I got a couple picks. Uh, Doctor Strange Two, Multiverse of Madness. Uh, as we talked about when we mentioned uh, the MCU, WandaVision, etc. WandaVision. I think 
both of us can agree is maybe the best MCU show they've done so far. And this film yep. is going to tie into that. So very excited for Doctor Strange 2. Uh, the Batman. Very, oh. very excited to see Matt Reeves, who directed the Planet of the Apes uh, reboot trilogy, which I love all of. Uh, him having a crack at this character and Pattinson in the role, I think is a great idea. Uh, I'm really excited for a fresh take on the Batman. Me too. And as a, as a fan of the comics and a reader of many of the of of the Batman comics and lore, um, seeing like almost a year one or like a detective Batman, mm. I think is m- massive. We've only seen him in cinema as someone who's been doing it. I mean, Batman Begins was kind of an origin story but you know when when batman first started out on the streets of gotham it, he was basically a detective right and then he had to solve crimes using old school detective tactics and kind of being able to 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 see that kind of batman in a gruesome gritty noir style i think is going to be a really good take on on what we've seen normally from the, from the character yeah the world's greatest detective moniker that he gets in general, uh, in the history of the character. I think it'll be fun to explore that. That was always one of my favorite things from the animated series when Rachel Ghoul used to always refer to him as detective. Uh, yep. Love that. Love that. Um, Ambulance is another one I'm actually anticipating. A lot of people probably think that it's going to be trash. It's Michael Bay's next movie, but I just... Oh, my God. I like Michael Bay's eye. And, like, his scripts are usually terrible and the Transformers movies are garbage. But so what wrong. he can put on screen visually... Uh, I mean, he he has an eye, so I'm I'm excited to see it. It's a heist type of movie with Jake Gyllenhaal, getting away from the Transformers nonsense and getting back into just a straight up action movie. I'm excited to see what that brings. Back to normal nonsense. Yeah, the trailer was on before Spider Man, and I looked at Hannah and I was like, "Are you kidding me with this? Like, it it looks absolutely horrible." Well, I don't watch trailers, so I only saw the first couple seconds, and then I realized, oh, I'm definitely gonna watch this movie, so I stopped watching the trailer. And I'm excited. Uh, And then finally, the last thing I'll mention, it's not technically 2022, but in 2023, Christopher Nolan's next film, Oppenheimer, is coming out. And in 2022, I'm preparing for that. uh, (laughs) I'm just about done with the book that the script is going to be based on. And I also have a trip to Santa Fe planned this year while I will visit Los Alamos to see where the nuclear bomb was tested in the Oppenheimer Museum and all that. So I'm ready for that movie when it comes out in 2023. Yeah, we've been talking about it. I think it's going to be interesting on Christopher Nolan. At the heart of his films, they are talkies, right? They are deeply embedded in dialogue, in character development through dialogue. But there's always some sort of action or other element, supernatural, whatever it may be, that gets layered on top of it. It's going to be interesting to see like a true kind of Nolan talkie movie that's really based in, you know, reality and, and something that people live through, you know. Yeah, I mean, we got a, a taste decades ago. We got a taste of it with Dunkirk where he did his first sort of foray into history. But that, like yep. you said, that was still very Nolan-esque in terms of messing with time and adding the act to constant action. So Oppenheimer, I'm I'm really curious to see how he attacks the material, what angle he takes, how much of a focus is on the bomb versus how much is on the man. Uh, I'm really, really excited for it, especially as I have now just about done with the Pulitzer Prize winning book it's based on, which is fantastic. I'm, I'm psyched to see what he does with it. So 2023, it. July, mark your calendars. It's coming. <laughs> Use 2022 to um, catch up. I got a, I got a couple ones you, you talked about the Batman. Super excited for um we should be expecting martin scorsese's uh next film in 2022 uh the f- uh the killers of the flower moon there's been little information about it but basically it is uh based on the book of the same name uh where basically the uh uh genocide of the osei american indians in oklahoma in the 1920s and the creation of the fbi and that was their first big case was investigating that kind of killings of over a hundred uh native americans scorsese obviously amazing we sure. got robert de niro we got leo uh jesse plemons and then um lily gladstone plays the informant that works with the fbi and also the local um native americans to kind of figure out what's going on i think is going to be amazing yep, I'll watch that um for 
we got a uh, new Mission Impossible, Bill. I'm glad you did. I'm surprised you didn't bring that up. Well, September 30th. Here's the thing is, is they Question keep, mark. Yeah, exactly. They keep pushing back uh, the Top Gun sequel uh, and both Mission Impossible 7 and 8, which they have been filming concurrently. So those can come out in, in sequence. Uh, and they keep pushing that date back. I think we were supposed to have Top Gun already and Mission Impossible yeah. may, may have supposed to have been 2021. I'm not sure. Uh, so yeah, no, that was that. I, that's kind of out of sight, out of mind until they actually lock in a date. But I am obviously, it's my favorite series, my favorite film franchise of all time. So I'm very excited. Uh, and then last for me, it's kind of a shameless one, but the the last Jackass movie, Jackass Forever, should be coming out uh, in February. As someone who grew up on CKY and Jackass, um, these guys are old and they're going to kill themselves, and they're they're just shambles of human beings, but. I, I, I like a good laugh and a cheap laugh, and I'm just excited to see. <laughs> and I get shit. What... We're looking forward to it. Michael Bay. Come on now. Please. If, uh, we should pull the readers or the viewers <laughs> and see how many people would rather watch a Michael Bay movie or the next Jackass movie. Oh, Michael Bay. Ten times ten. I've never actually seen a Jackass movie. I remember when the show came out, it was, it was oh a huge hit. And I hated it then. <laughs> and I still hate it now. But I've sat through that goddamn trailer. For enough cumulative time that I've probably it's probably been longer than the actual feature length film at this point. Watching that trailer, but I, you know, if it brings you joy, AJ, I'm I'm happy for you. Glad we're back, Bill. I'm glad we can have this banter back. And uh, this is our first virtual session of of the podcast, and I think uh, I think we can do it. So I, I'm 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 happy and I'm optimistic on what 2022 will bring for both movies and uh, getting the podcast back. And I um. I really, uh, I really appreciate spending the time with you, Bill, and, and getting back into the swing of things. It's not quite the same as sitting across from you with drinks in our hands, but uh, you know it'll do. Uh, and uh, stone sober too, just water for me. Twenty twenty two. Wow, fitness is my passion. There you go. Uh, well, thank you all so much for listening to this year end review for twenty twenty one on the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It, and please. Uh, comments, uh, send messages. Uh, I always like to respond. Uh, we even brought this podcast back partially because someone wrote, where's the podcast? And it kind of got our gears going. So uh, if you have anything you want to see uh, or hear us talk about, please, please comment. Uh, we love when you do. Thanks so much. 